Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Those are the last five verses of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, September the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're looking at the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 19, uh, also in the epistle of to the first first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 8 to 21, and Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. So here we go. We're talking about Elisha. Remember, Elijah has been taken up into heaven, and so now we're speaking and looking at the life of Elisha, the prophet who succeeded him. So Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Well, that's an odd beginning to this reading, to be honest with you, because he's he's a Syrian commander of the army, which would have meant that he worshipped a different god. However, by him, we're told, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So there's something already right off the bat going on with Naaman that we need to be aware of. We should be have a heightened sense of well, what's going to happen here because God seems to favor Naaman in this place. It says he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And leprosy is an odd thing. Most of the rabbis, most of the sages, in, in fact, all of them, agree that one thing, yes, there's a physical manifestation of this disease. It's not Hansen's disease, which we know of today as leprosy. It's a different kind of skin disorder, and it can also manifest on a house. So it's an odd thing, and, and the uh, Hebrew term is sarat. And what they believe is actually this this sarat is a disease that is related directly to sin, that, that there's no sarat without sin. So that, that all the sages, all the scholars, everybody, when they read this word, they don't think sarat. I mean, they don't think leprosy like we think of it today. It's the best translation you can come up with. But they connect it always with a spiritual defect. And it can be slandering, lying, those kinds of things that then manifests in this way. And it begins with the first person we know of had leprosy was Miriam, who came and spoke against Moses. And then she's afflicted with leprosy. And one of the other reasons they're certain of this is, is that it's not treated by a doctor. It's treated by a priest. And at the end of leprosy, the only way you can be reincorporated into the community is to provide a sin offering. And so it's a it's a unique kind of disease that they believe is only possible when Israel is in the land. But here it afflicts a foreigner. And so there's something going on here. So it says the Syrians on one of their raids carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, which is northern, the northern kingdom, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches, you know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. He didn't believe this was a genuine request. He believed that he was doing this in order that the king would fail and therefore provoke some kind of a war between the two of them. But then Elisha hears that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't bother to even go out. He sends a messenger and says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be clean. And Naaman was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has not he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? I mean, it's simple as that, right? I mean, you wanted him to do something. You wanted him to come out, stand there, call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Instead, he told you something to do. But it's a test. It's a test of faith. Because what what Naaman's response is, is, Hey, we have better water than that. Over in Syria, why should I go down to this Jordan and wash there? And his servant said, I mean, he didn't give you something difficult to do. He gave you something really simple to do. Why not just go ahead and try that? So he did. And dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there's no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He wouldn't take the gift that the king had sent to him. But he has acknowledged the God of Israel to be the only true God. So whatever this spiritual defect was, it's been cured along with the leprosy. And so now he has come to believe in the God of Elisha. And so he urged him to take it, and he refused to take the gift. And Naaman said, If not, please, let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Remen to worship there, Remen is the god, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Remen. When I bow myself in the house of Remen, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He says, look, I'm not there to actually worship. I'm going there because I serve the king, and he's worshiping there. And so when he bows, I have to bow too because I'm supporting him physically. He says, so please forgive me for doing this because I, take my word for it, I'm no longer worshiping idols. I'm only worshiping the God of Israel. And Elisha's response is, go in peace. I mean, he has cured this man, but he has also won him to the living God. And so this man, who was formerly an idol worshiper and a pagan in Syria, now comes to know the God of Israel is the only true God. 
And so he's going to be there with him worshiping now. So the what what started out as what looks like a physical disease, but we know because we know and understand biblical leprosy is actually a spiritual disease, that becomes the provocation for him to come to Israel and become one of them. He becomes a believer in the one true God, the God of Israel, because of his spiritual problem, but it brought about this physical problem. And so he comes in and has an encounter with the living God. So not only was he favored by God in giving the victory to Syria in the war, he's also favored by God even more greatly than that. But he he didn't appreciate the gift God had given him initially, and the gift God had given him was this gift of leprosy. Seems like an odd gift, but we get a lot of gifts like that that we don't value very highly. God sometimes challenges us in our lives in order to do one thing, and that is to get our minds on Him, to get us to follow Him rather than to spend all our time on our problems. Sometimes we get too comfortable, and we have to be shaken out of that comfort by a difficulty in our lives, and God uses that in order that we might become closer to Him. And what it's actually showing us is that we have a spiritual defect. And that defect is we're not paying close enough attention to him. We're going on about our merry way and doing our work and doing everything else, and we give lip service to him, but we don't get anything closer to him. We don't get the best of God. And so here it ends up becoming that. And so he takes these loads of earth home in order that he has part of the earth, the land of Israel, that he'll have there in Syria where he can worship the living God. In the gospel lesson today in Matthew 5, what we've got is Jesus, right after he has given the um, Sermon on the Mount, here he's going to work through some of the commandments from the Ten Commandments in order to say what it means that he has come not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and the prophets, and that none of these will go away until. And he's, remember, he's just said that anybody who uh, lessens the commandment or weakens the commandment is going to have to answer to God for that. He's, he's come not just to, to speak about the law but to increase the law and to ask for greater obedience, because he says your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He didn't say, don't pay attention to those people. He says, your righteousness has got to be greater than those. It's probably a daunting task, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us interpret the law in order that we might fulfill the law and that we might serve him properly. And so here he says, you've heard it was said of old, don't murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Not murdered, he'll be liable to judgment. Angry, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. We're going to step that up a notch. We're not even to murder yet. We're only angry and insulting. And then whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Nobody thought that prior to Jesus saying it. They thought that murder was the worst you could go. And Jesus says we, we didn't even get to murder here. We only talked about anger insult, and then calling your brother a fool, Raka. And he'll be liable to the hell of fire. We need to be careful. We need to be careful with what we say and what we do. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Got to deal with that first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God's not going to receive your gift if you're still at odds and at enmity with your brothers and sisters. And so what he says is fix that first. That sin's got to be dealt with before God can can receive the gift from you. 
come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. I mean, Jesus, it's, one of the crazy things in the liberal church today is that they, they actually act as though these sins are less important, that, that we can just blow off God's prohibitions on things. Whatever God's pronounced is an abomination. Yeah, we can call it good. It'll be all right. There's no possible way you can read Matthew 5 and 6 and ever come to the conclusion that God's gone soft on sin. In fact, Jesus says, you've gone soft on sin. You don't even understand the prohibition. It's far greater than you think it is. And then he goes on to define it in this way. And so we are in danger in the church by redefining sin and dumbing down sin that we're actually making people liable to the hell of judgment is what Jesus says. And he also is going to say that you as a teacher, if you teach somebody that, then you have a real problem in judgment. In the uh, epistle, Paul speaking to the, to the Corinthian church, and this is a church that Paul has raised up from the beginning. He was the one who brought the gospel to them. But along the way, they've had others come to them, and they've preferred these super apostles, these teachers, who are winning uh, aggrandizement for themselves and not so much for God. And Paul says, you know, you're giving them way too much credit. That's his whole argument here. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. I mean, this is sarcasm. And would that you did reign so that we might share in that rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. So we, we, we poor apostles, you guys are great. You're, you're kings, However, we are last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endured. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The Corinthian church has gotten too high an opinion of itself, is what Paul's saying. And you've got too high an opinion of these people who have come to you and started teaching you this other stuff. He said, look, I'm the one who brought you the gospel. I'm the one you should be making much of. Instead, you're making much of yourselves and much of these other teachers who have come to you. He said, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he's claiming their allegiance to him as father because he's the one that brought them the gospel first. And so he said, I should have primacy of place there. You should not be looking down on me in scorn because I didn't come to you with eloquent words of wisdom and all that. He said, remember, I came in in truth and in power that was confirmed The power confirmed the message. You saw stuff. Remember that? He said, I might not have been all that eloquent. I might not have been all that impressive when I spoke to you, but you saw things. The the word preached was accompanied by displays of power in the Spirit. And and so he, he says, now you've been captivated by these teachers and not power. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. 
if the Lord wills. I mean, Paul is really upset. He, he feels like he's been rejected by this church in favor of these super apostles who have come, and their eloquent teaching has won them away from Paul, and they begun to prefer him. But, but what Paul's argument is, is that not only are you preferring these teachers over me, you've forgotten that everything comes back to Jesus in the, in the end. You're actually setting these guys above Jesus, not just me. And he says, some of you are arrogant, and you're saying bad things about Paul, but I'm coming. And if I, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And here we go. We're coming back to this idea of, of the power that resides in us. And that's one of the things that we in the church, I think, have forgotten. We, we, we've fallen after, after these teachers, and we've been led astray by many of these teachers— who, who come with eloquent words of wisdom, but there's no power in their message. People aren't getting healed. Those kinds of things aren't happening. We're not seeing changed lives. We're seeing instead just people falling in love with, with teachers whose ears, who's, who tickle their ears. And that's the same problem Paul's saying is, is going on here in Corinth. He said the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power. And way too often, I think, in the church we've devolved just to talk, and we no longer see movements of power. We no longer see healings. We no longer see the things that we used to see, the things that, that have happened from the beginning since Jesus committed that power to the church, since the Holy Spirit's been given to the church, and it's partly because we don't have any prayer in the church. We become a group of people who come and listen and who enjoy listening to somebody else talk rather than taking what you hear and applying it in your life. And so we don't have any power because we've become listeners. And and the people who teach, we don't see the power in them. And Paul's concerned about that, and I'm concerned about that. He said, what do you wish? Should I come with you a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It's the same choice Jesus presents to us as well. Do we want him to come with a rod, or do we want him to come with love and a spirit of gentleness? And so we, as the church, need to go back to our first love. Simply put, it's Jesus.